So this Sunday is Passion Sunday. And what does passion mean? Well, these days it's gone to meaning things like love and more specifically lust. It's to do with fanaticism, that you are such a passionate fan of something. And it can even be carelessness as well, that if something's done with passion, it can be careless. But the proper meaning, the origin of the word, comes from the word for suffering. So this week in Lent is all about suffering. And not just because it's been four weeks since you last had chocolate. What is suffering? Suffering can come in many forms and in varying degrees. It can be the suffering of failing at an endeavour. The suffering of going without something. The suffering of seeing a loved one with illness or dying. Some of us may experience more suffering than others, and some of us less. But we all suffer because we are human. It is just part of our human lives. Even Jesus suffered. We know he suffered on the cross, and we've sung even about that this morning. We also know that he suffered here in our reading. It's actually in a verse that I didn't include, but we know that he wept for his friend Lazarus when he knew that he had died. So here is a very important, but a very difficult question. What is the purpose of suffering? Well, to answer this, we first have to look at the start of our reading from John. We know that Lazarus is sick, very sick. His family is worried and scared for their brother, their son. So they do what we would all do when we face such tribulation. They take it to the Lord. Now we would do that in prayer, but for them it was a literal taking it to the Lord. They went and found Jesus face to face. They told him that Lazarus was very ill. I wonder if anyone else did what I did when I first heard his response. Did, um, did they read that right just now? That kind of said what it said. We have an idea that Jesus would always do whatever he could to keep someone alive, to cure illness, to be nice. Seemingly contrary to these ideas, Jesus' immediate actions, and it says specifically, because he loved Lazarus and Martha and her sisters are to wait two days before he sets off to them to help. The first time I read that, I thought, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would my Lord tarry? But that is our human nature, isn't it? To look at the face value, to look at the surface and to assume that we know what's best and what the right thing would be. To assume that we know better than God. Well, I needn't tell you what you do when you assume. It's only when you look at this with, as Paul would say, a transformed and renewed mind that we're able to identify and discern where the will of God is in this act. That is when we can come back to Jesus' response and hear that, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, 
so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. When we think in the way of the flesh, we see only us and we see only right and wrong and life and death. When we think in the way of Christ, through the help of the Spirit, we see that which glorifies God and that which does not. And that is the key factor in any decision. For Jesus, seeing the Son of Man glorified is more important to him than the life of his friend. It wasn't an easy decision. As we see when Lazarus sees Lazarus, uh, Jesus sees Lazarus dead and weeps, Jesus could have saved Lazarus with ease, but he chose to let him die so that God could be more greatly glorified through the act of resurrecting him and that those witnessing the act could be brought to him and bring him even more glory. That was Jesus' number one goal. Glorify God. And it should be ours too. God was glorified greatly by Jesus' act of resurrection on Lazarus. But what does that mean for us, brothers and sisters? Well, firstly, as Martha points out, when Jesus tells her that her brother will rise again, we have the promise of resurrection on the last day, when our Lord comes again in glory. But that isn't all. There is another type of resurrection which can be more accessible on a daily basis. Resurrection is new life. Whether that is new life after death on the last days or the new life that we get when we offer our sins to God and fall at our knees and ask for forgiveness. We are washed clean. We are given a new life, a new start every single time. So resurrection for Christians can mean both that daily resurrection through our sins being forgiven and the resurrection we receive through being washed with the blood of Christ. There are several phrases for being forgiven in the Bible. Being redeemed, blotting out our transgressions, being purged and being washed clean. And they all revolve around that idea, being washed clean. Does that adequately describe what Jesus does when he gives us that extra chance, that new life, that resurrection? Well, that's where I'm going to come to our T-shirt back over here. Thank you very much for writing so much on it. If I grab my pen, have I got a pen around as well? Lovely. of course need to do mine as well now with that word and that phrase of being washed clean the idea would be that we could then wash this clean I wonder if I might have a volunteer to give me a hand Anybody? am I going to have to oh brilliant thank you Doreen's over there has just gone, haven't had to go and help. I wonder if you might be able to have a go at um, washing that for us. If we start with that one, 
chuck it right in and, and get going. See if you can see what you can do. We're getting serious. I've just realised I'm missing a towel, actually. I don't know if we've got a tea towel knocking around that. anywhere. Don't, don't, don't worry, Stephen. <laughs> OK, OK. I, make a note of this, would you please? <laughs> We're not having any luck, Stephen. Not coming out at all? Oh, thank you very much. No, not running a bit. Not running a little bit? No. I wonder if you try the scour. There's a little difference, a little difference. Should we, should we go heavy duty and try the scourer as well? It's doing my hands no good at all. No. <laughs> it is fairy. It's okay. It's a... <laughs> no, no, but it's... I'm not sure if I should be competent here. <laughs> Have we... <laughs> no, we're not getting very fast, even, I'm afraid. Not at all. No. Well, thank you very much for your efforts. We'll stop there, I think. I think that's about as much as we can do. Right, there you go. Thank you very much, Eagle. <laughs> so we've got, if I hold it up for you. We've, we've had a, a decent go. And it is coming off a little bit. It's smudged a little bit and it's starting to move. But I wonder if this is what we think of when we think of whether Jesus has washed our sins away. All those things you've written down. Well, there's one mistake in what I've done. See, I've tried to wash my soul as it was. I've tried to wash away those things as it said in the text. In fact, what I should have done and what God actually does is he takes that and actually I'll put it where it belongs. He takes all your sins like that and he throws them away. And he says, here, have a new shirt, have a new soul, have a new life, you can start again. White and clean, a fresh start. Now that is why Paul in Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because if we are in Christ, we cannot be condemned. Because we constantly have that possibility for renewal and transformation through him and in him. But there is something deeper than this. And in the amazing statement from Jesus in our reading, where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. There are two wonderful parts to pick from this. Firstly, Jesus, Jesus uses that phrase, I am. This is such a clear reference to his divinity that he is God. Just as God says to Moses from the burning bush, I am who I am. Jesus also declares his name using that term, I am. He is God Almighty. He is outside of time and space as we know it. And he is. Secondly, the phrase, whoever believes in me, which interestingly more clearly translates as whoever believes into me. 
Believing in Jesus and following him isn't some far-off, distant wandering, like people believing in other life forms out there in the distant galaxies, or scientists believing they know smaller and smaller parts of the atom. They believe them, but they can't be sure. They're guessing, because it's distant. Jesus says that we believe not just in him, but into him. This tells us how our relationship with Jesus is close, personal and loving, not distant and removed. The God who resurrects us does so not from afar, but from within us, where he dwells. And we have to be resurrected from within, because it is our bodies that sin, as we've seen. It's our bodies that need restoration and renewal. Now Paul says in Romans 8, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh (coughs) is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If we are in the flesh, we cannot please God. Our renewal comes from coming into Christ and having the spirit within us. Even in our reading from John, Lazarus isn't resurrected until Jesus calls into the tomb. He has to breathe to bring forth life, just as in the creation. And just as in our reading from Ezekiel, the dry bones could be formed into skeletons. The skeletons could be covered in flesh and sinews and skin, but they were lifeless, still and dead, without God's breath or Ruach, as it is in the original text. Everything was formed and created by him and through him. Through his breath came life. The same is true of ourselves. Without the breath of life in our lives, we are dead, like dry bones. At best, lifeless forms with flesh and skin too. But as Paul said, our bodies are dead because of sin. We need Christ, God, the Spirit, to breathe into us that Ruach to make us alive. We cannot do this by ourselves and we need Christ's renewal. But we do need to think about how we can bring glory to God. Christ did it through following God's will, which he knew because he was and is and always will be God. But how can we do it? 
Well, Paul says that those in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot please God through your own, <coughs> own efforts. We must be in the spirit to be able to please God. So we must live spirit-filled lives. Only then can they be pleasing to God and bring him glory. We know suffering will come our way. It may come today, tomorrow, a year from now, or we might be right in the middle of suffering at this very moment with grieving hearts. But today's readings tell us that there is hope because we are resurrected with new life into Christ through the breath of the Holy Spirit day by day by day when we call on him. We know that he works all things together for good for those according to, our, according to his purpose. And our ultimate goal is to bring God glory. And we do that when we follow God's will, whether in joy or in suffering. I'd like to end with an example. In 1871, the great Chicago fire virtually ruined Horatio Spafford. It was almost the biggest trial in his life, but not the biggest. Two years later, in 1873, he put his wife and his four daughters on a ship to sail for England. And the ship ran into another ship and sank very quickly. And all four girls died and his wife barely escaped. He heard about the accident and received a telegram from his wife, saved but alone. He gets on a ship and he heads to be with his grieving wife. And as he passes over the part of the ocean where the ship went down and where the girls were at the bottom, he wrote, When peace like a river attends my way, or sorrows like sea billows roll. And you can hear that point. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. So the question is, how can it be well? He goes on in the song and talks about, let this blessed assurance control that God has regarded my helpless estate and Christ has shed his own blood for my soul. He knew that Christ loved him. He saw it in the cross and when he gets to the end he has Christ coming back with a great triumph not to judge him but to save him and to raise his daughters from the dead. So it is well with my soul. No song quite gets it in terms of its cadence and its tune and especially its words. It doesn't get any better than sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Through it is well 